So the context for today's scripture is that the Apostle Paul is journeying around the Mediterranean on one of his missionary journeys, stopping at various cities in the region, preaching the gospel, founding churches, and anticipating that he will be coming back around to check on those churches later on. He is stopping in cities in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey, as well as areas of Macedonia, Thrace, and Achaia, regions that comprise present-day Greece. In the region that is now Greece, he preaches in the northern cities of Thessalonica and Berea, and apparently he runs into some issues that threaten his safety. And it's not hard to imagine that happening because Paul is never one to back away from argument or confrontation. So it becomes necessary for his safety to send him south to Athens, which is far enough away from the northern cities that his companions hope he will be safe. While he waits for those companions to catch up with him, two of whom are Timothy and Silas, he looks around in Athens. Athens, as you might imagine, is a bustling place, a cosmopolitan crossroads of culture and religion, of trade and ethnicity, of ideas and politics. Paul's concern is religion and faith, so he focuses on the religious lay of the land, and what he encounters disturbs him. But also, he can see, presents him with an opportunity to get out his gospel message. The setting for today's scripture is at the Areopagus in Athens, the center of the religious temples and cultural sites and a high court. And while our scripture passage, as John read it for us today, started with verse 22 of Acts chapter 17, I'm going to go back for a moment to verse 16 for some additional context. And I'm going to read it in Eugene Peterson's The Message paraphrase for a little more color. So listen again to this expanded reread of the story. The longer Paul waited in Athens for Silas and Timothy, the angrier he got. All these idols. The city was a junkyard of idols. He discussed it with the Jews and other like-minded people at their meeting place, and every day he went out on the streets and talked with anyone who happened along. He got to know some of the Epicurean and Stoic intellectuals pretty well through these conversations. Some of them dismissed him with sarcasm. What a moron. But others, listening to him go on about Jesus and the resurrection, were intrigued. That's a new slant on the gods. Tell us more. These people got together and asked him to make a public presentation over at the Areopagus where things were a little quieter. They said, this is a new one on us. We never heard anything quite like it. Where did you come up with this anyway? Explain it so we can understand. Downtown Athens was a great place for gossip. There were always people hanging around, natives and tourists alike, waiting for the latest tidbit on most anything. So Paul took his stand in the open space at the Areopagus and laid it out for them. It is plain to see that you Athenians take your religion seriously. When I arrived here the other day, I was fascinated with all the shrines I came across. 
And then I found one inscribed to the God nobody knows. I'm here to introduce you to this God so you can worship intelligently, know who you're dealing with. The God who made the world and everything in it, this master of sky and land, doesn't live in custom-made shrines or need the human race to run errands for him as if he couldn't take care of himself. He makes the creatures. The creatures don't make him. Starting from scratch, he made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living so we could seek after God and not just grope around in the dark but actually find him. He doesn't play hide-and-seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. We live and move in him. Can't get away from him. One of your poets said it well. We're the God created. Well, if we're the God created, it doesn't make a lot of sense to think that we could hire a sculptor to chisel a God out of stone for us, does it? God overlooks it as long as you don't know any better, but that time is past. The unknown is now known And he's calling for a radical life change. He set a day when the entire human race will be judged and everything set right. And he has already appointed the judge, confirming him before everyone by raising him from the dead. In the message paraphrase, what appears in the New Revised Standard Version as God's offspring, which is the phrase I referenced in my sermon title, It's translated as God created. God created is a fairly general description of those who are part of the human family, those created by God along with everything else in this world. But offspring is a little more personal. Maybe it's even a more descriptive and dynamic word. In any case, whether we're saying God created or God's offspring in the English, The actual Greek word, the word in the original language of the text, is genos. It basically means race, stock, or kin, the plural of the word gene. A more expanded definition might connect genos to words like species, category, birth, lineage, family, generation, and so on. But it's definitely a relational word and a cross-generational word. One person has defined genos as a social group often of noble origin claiming common descent. It sounds like a word to describe not just children of particular parents, but maybe descendants of a royal family, right? Now, if you think about it, it probably wouldn't surprise you that in the cultural and social setting in which Paul used the word genos to connect humans to God, in this marketplace of politics and ideas and religion in Athens, where everyone thought they knew everything already, that for him to claim God-related genos as the new and more accurate definition and description of those who previously thought of themselves as self-created or self-directed. But now, he insists, must acknowledge the true nature of their close and dynamic relationship with God, that that would have been a very bold claim 
indeed. In Greek religious understandings, the gods were distant. They cared little for or about humans, even as humans were supposed to acknowledge or submit to the gods. Within this context, Paul's expression of God and humans in familial terms, in relational terms, was radical and probably disturbing for those Athenians. We are related to God. We are children of God. We are not gods ourselves, but we are children of God. Today we can talk about being children of God or members of the family of God as if it's no big deal, nothing really that remarkable. But at that time and in that place, it could have been, maybe would have been, a surprising statement. You are claiming such lineage. You are genos of the God who you claim in the very same breath is the God of all creation. The God of resurrection, the God who is above and below and around and even in you. This is your family line. This God is your parent. As if somehow this God is the one who gave birth to you. The one who accepts you no matter what because you are in the family. This kind of offspring claim isn't casual. It's not just one more idea in the marketplace of ideas. It's a claim. Paul makes a claim, a case that we, even though we are only human, are created by God. We are created by God who created all things. We are created in the image of God. This God is with us and in us. That is, the real and true God is not remote or disinterested or even in some kind of weird competition with us. Instead, God is near, caring about us, connected to us. God is not created by us. God creates us. We are offspring of this God. And that means any number of important things. It means that along with an awareness of God as parent comes an awareness of us as God's children. And so we belong to God like belonging to a family, to a lineage. It means we have a heritage, a way of being in the world, an inheritance and a responsibility that we've been given. It means we have an identity. You and I bear resemblance to the one from whom we came. We are part of a particular group. We have a name, a set of inherited skills and knowledge, a purpose. Now, perhaps if we're not looking carefully at the Scripture text, it could seem that Paul is making an us-versus-them claim, as if he's saying to the Athenians, we Christians are God's offspring, and you are not. But that's not what he is saying. He's saying that we are all God's offspring. We who have encountered God in Christ already know this offspring status, 
And since we know we have to act on this truth, you, however, he is saying to the Athenians in the market square, are also God's offspring, even if you don't know it yet. But ignorance is no excuse. Now that I've told you that we and you are both God's offspring, consider yourself notified. And since you are notified, you are now responsible to act on what you know. God may still be a mystery, but God is not unknown. Resurrection may be a mystery, but Christ's resurrection is something you need to look at and consider and grapple with. Your offspring status may come as a surprise to you, but you are God's children nevertheless. All of us are God's children, offspring. We all know that today is Mother's Day, and you know that it's not been our pattern, our practice in this congregation to celebrate Mother's Day. It's not a church holiday, in case you didn't know, not part of the liturgical church calendar like Christmas or Easter or Pentecost. And not only that, but for some of us whose mothers are no longer living, perhaps taken from us too soon or whose mothers weren't the people we needed them to be, or who never knew our mother, or who aren't a mother, whether by choice or not, Mother's Day can be a hard pill to swallow. However, all of us have had persons who were a mother to us, or at least like a mother to us. Someone who mothered us. That is, someone older and more mature than us looked with kindness on us, saw something of our needs, and tried to provide for those needs. Someone claimed us as their child, even if by the world's measure we weren't their child. But they claimed us. Someone mothered us. And if it felt real and helpful then it was because that mothering was embodied in some way. It was tangible, physical, expressive, gracious. It wasn't hidden in a fog or done only from a distance. It was relational. It made a claim of love toward us. It nurtured us. I think this is the way of God, too. We are offspring of the persons who parented us. Whether they were our biological parents or not, whether they were blood-related to us in any way or not, and as offspring of those persons who fulfilled that role, who laid claim to us in love and acceptance, we were gifted with belonging, with heritage, with responsibility, and with opportunity. God is the same way with us covering us with care and giving us guidance and nurturing our needs because God is a relational God. We know this in Christ. God is a relational God, a compassionate God, a connecting God, and so we humans are gifted with spiritual and physical belonging and heritage and responsibility and opportunity. I agree with Paul 
this idea that God, even unseen, is not unknown. That God, whose image can't be carved in any stone, is nevertheless discovered in the face of another living being in whom the light of the divine shines forth. Just look around you. God is present, not distant, within us and between us, not beyond us. Yes, there is mystery in all of this, but just because there is mystery, humans don't have to plead ignorance. After all, we have seen the face of Christ in each other. In faith, we believe that we belong to the God of all creation, the God of love and mercy, the God of healing and hope. We belong to the God of all creation as children of God, the offspring, the genos of God. Paul, as he walked and talked around the Areopagus in Athens, was tagged as foolish by some when he told them that they were the offspring of God. How ridiculous, they said. But others recognized the truth of this claim. Maybe they knew deep down that there is nothing more powerful than relationship, especially relationship as a divinely intended means to give and receive the generational, cross-generational gifts of family resemblance, heritage, and connection. There is nothing more powerful than relationship offered in care across generations as a lineage of blessing where our resemblance and heritage and connection to the one who created us and who nurtures us is a resemblance and heritage and connection of love and hope. Amen.